tracking the amazing growth of the first century church to challenge and inspire the 21st century church. This is Unstoppable Church, Then and Now, recorded on location in Israel, Cyprus, Turkey, Greece, Malta and Italy. Bible teacher and church pastor Mike Beaumont is in conversation for the next 30 minutes with David Taverner. As we continue to follow the story in, in Acts, Mike, uh, we're sort of in chapter two, but just, just a little recap before you read on. Yeah, well, we've seen um, Jesus spending the 40 days after his resurrection, teaching his disciples, helping them to understand it, teaching them about the kingdom of God before returning to his father in that event known as the Ascension. We've seen the disciples then spend the next 10 days praying, waiting for this whatever the Holy Spirit thing was going to be that Jesus had promised. And then we've seen in previous episodes how on the Jewish festival of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell in this dynamic way on all those believers, absolutely transforming them, wind, fire, speaking in other tongues, proclaiming boldly about the message of Jesus. And Peter calling on people to repent, to acknowledge they were wrong, the way they'd lived life so far was not the way God wanted, and to turn around and to begin to follow Jesus. And we ended last time where we looked at how so many people, 3,000, about 3,000, Luke adds, uh, added to their number that day. Wow, Unstoppable Church really has begun, hasn't it? So this is a new community, a new community of believers, and, and, and they have to sort of start living together, working together in a, in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's one of the things that comes out so clearly in these first few chapters of Acts. Christianity is not just a me and Jesus thing. And very often in the West, we've reduced it to that, you know, believe in Jesus, trust in him, and you will go to heaven when you die. I believe in that with all my heart because the Bible does tell us that. But that is such a small part of the message because the message really is come to Jesus, get your past life forgiven, begin a new life with him and with others of his people who have discovered this as well. And together begin to live as a new devoted community, living his lifestyle, showing the opposing world round about what it looks like to live life under God's rule, what it looks like to do things God's way rather than our own selfish way. So there's a huge emphasis on this sort of community aspect of what it means to follow Jesus. It is not just me and him, it is me and you and him. And they weren't sort of hiding away, they hadn't become a sort of sect. No, not at all. And of course, there was plenty of examples of how they could have done that. The uh, Jewish sect uh, down at Qumran was a, a group of people who had withdrawn from life here to get away from all these horrible, nasty sinners and to go and live a perfectly holy life. Well, I've noticed if I keep myself to myself, I can be reasonably holy in life. But, you know, where real holiness is tested is when you engage with people out in the world and where you demonstrate the life of Jesus to them and where you, you have to test for yourself what Jesus has promised. And so, no, they're not hidden away because we find in these early chapters of Acts that there were two sort of focal points of this together life that they did. One was in homes. Now, remember, at the beginning, the church had no buildings. It wouldn't have buildings 
until the fourth century and the conversion of the Emperor Constantine, who suddenly makes Christianity a legal religion. So no churches to go to, they just met in homes. So they have those small groups there. But what we also discover in Acts is that they continue to meet, understandably as Jews, in the temple courts every day. So they are not afraid. They are not hiding their faith away. They are here in the temple courts talking about Jesus among one another, sharing the good news of Jesus with whoever happens to listen. Because, you know, up there on the what would have been the temple platform behind where we're standing right now, you know, there would have been loads, hundreds of thousands of people at the great festivals, thousands just on ordinary days. Uh, and so you would have had little groups sitting around, rabbis around, teachers, and people walking past and listening in as they were speaking. So there was the need for sort of private time together to share their faith, but there was also the need for uh, public time to not hide their faith away, but let it be seen and talked about in the community where they lived. And sort of life goes on as it does here. I mean, just explain where we are because <laughs> of the hubbub. Yeah, life's definitely going on here, isn't it? We're surrounded by thousands of people and building works and everything. Um, we're actually uh, standing on the Grand Plaza in front of what Jews call today the Kotel, the wall. Now, we've spoken in previous episodes about how the wall that is left standing is not the wall of the temple. It's the wall of the great platform that Herod the Great built in order to house the platform. He felt the temple as it existed after the return from exile wasn't big enough and grand enough. And so he wanted to build a much bigger, better temple, hopefully to try and win the Jews over because he wasn't Jewish. He was Idumean and so really wasn't loved at all. Uh, so he built this fabulous temple and first he needed to flatten a whole area, fill in valleys, and he built this huge platform with these great retaining walls. Now in a previous episode, we were by the southern wall and the great steps that used to lead in up those stairs into the courtyard up above. Right now we are by what we call the western wall, what Jews call uh, the Kotel, which is one of those remaining supporting walls uh, of that temple platform and as you can see David an absolutely uh, amazing site what what's left here of the wall is there are 45 courses rows of of hewn stone uh, 28 of them are above ground and the others are below ground down in the the foundations and some of those ones down in the foundation are incredibly huge uh, the biggest one is 45 feet long and 13 feet wide and they estimate because obviously they can't get it out they estimate it weighs 570 tons it's the heaviest largest man-made object uh, archaeologists think ever to have been moved so it is an incredible sight and what's left as we look here jews gathering for them this is their holiest place because no longer is the temple up there on the top. They're not allowed to go up there and worship. They can walk there, though. Uh, Muslim security guards will keep their eye on them if they do. So this really is the nearest they can get to where the temple had stood. And so as we look across now to the wall, we can see many Jews praying. Many of them are in their traditional garb, uh, all the men have their heads covered as required, at least a little kippah, that little hat that goes on their heads, some with much bigger hats. And they're praying, they're reading their scriptures, they're reading holy books. Often you'll see them nodding 
bowing, which is every time they come to the name of God. And you see little scrolls of paper tucked into the cracks of the walls, which is where people put prayers. And of course, it's not just Jews, but people from all around the world will come here. We're surrounded by tourists now, uh, and many of them will write prayers and, and put prayers into those little cracks in this holiest spot, the nearest they can get to where our story took place and to where the temple stood. I was going to say, 2,000 years ago then, these new believers, they met in these public places and in these private places, and you've said that they were devoted. I mean, where, where does that come from in the Bible? Then? Yeah, they were devoted, devoted to God and one another. Probably the best thing I can do to answer the question is, why don't we carry on with the story that we've been following? So let's pick the story up after Peter had called upon the crowd that were listening on the day of Pentecost to repent and turn and follow Jesus and 3,000 of them had uh, turned to Jesus that day and were baptised. And we go on to read from Acts 2, 42, and here's the key word, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. And selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, just up there where we're looking now. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So, tremendous example there. We talked last time about how when these followers received the Holy Spirit, something changed in their life. And suddenly they began to live not just for self, but for God and for one another. And Luke seems to specify four particular aspects of that new sense of community yes and we've said previously in our series haven't we that luke is a very careful historian he says both in his gospel of luke and in this second volume acts that he'd carefully researched everything that he did he wasn't one of the original 12 we've noted but he joined paul in his mission journeys and interviewed the people we'd say he was an investigative journalist today he went around interviewing people carefully, writing down what he'd discovered. And of all of that, he ends up noting these four things in particular. I'm sure there would have been lots of other things that he could have noted. But these were four that really stood out, four that sort of really characterised the church. And they were the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. So of the many things they did, these were the four that stood out more than any. Let's just look at the one at a time because they're clearly significant. Yeah, apostles' teaching. Um, sounds a bit obvious, doesn't it? But they focused their life together on Jesus. I think that's so important. It wasn't just on having a good time, on having a fun time. Though, hey, I've had some great fun times with God's people in church. But it's focused on Jesus and on the apostles' teaching now what would the apostles teaching have included well you know we don't have to guess because we can look at later teaching in the book of acts we can look in the letters and we can see what the apostles teaching focused on 
was the life, teaching, death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus. So the basic truths of who Jesus was and why he came. Uh, the second thing we absolutely know they included in that preaching was how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament promises and prophecies and how this story in the New Testament is not a new story. You know, some Christians fall into the trap of thinking, well, you know, God tried the Old Covenant and that didn't work, so he thought, yeah, okay, we'll give that a miss. Hey, I've got a new idea. Let's start again with Jesus. This story in the New Testament the writers make very clear is the continuation of that same story now it's not just a continuation it's a transformation it's brought to life it's like the tv's gone from black and white to color why because messiah has come so there's a lot of focus about jesus as the promised messiah and along with teaching about you know who jesus is and what jesus did um, they absolutely included in their teaching what following Jesus looks like. So we can't say we're a Christian and still carry on our life as we used to live it. It has to change. Now that does not come in the form of, okay, here's a long list, David, I'm going to give you now. I want you to start working on these, please. Here's the laws and commandments you have to follow. No, the Holy Spirit within us, as we worship, meet with God's people, as we read God's word in particular, begins to point things out to us and say, you're not living like that, are you? But you could. If you turn to me and with my help, you could start to live like that. So what the Jesus life looks like, and here's the important thing again, not just individually, but corporately. This is one of the big themes that comes out in the book of Acts. This devotion is not just me and Jesus. It's me being also devoted to you because you are devoted to Jesus and sharing our life together there is a new togetherness that is not just thinking well I don't really like David but I'm gonna to have to get on with him aren't I no something has happened in my life that's changed me something's happened in your life that's changed you and together we understand in the Holy Spirit that we're now part of the same family and so if I do you good that will do me good because it will do my family good and if you do me good that will do you good so there is a huge emphasis on corporate faith as well as individual faith something that the church certainly in the 20th century i think was in danger of losing thankfully something that many young christians in particular i think are regaining and seeing that you know just a message of put your trust in jesus and you'll go to heaven when you die which is true by the way isn't exactly fulfilling for this life and so building a devoted life together that centers around Jesus, his person, his teaching, and the hope that he gives for the present and the future was an absolutely fundamental first part of their devoted life together. And I suppose out of that practical outworking, then they spent time with each other. And that second fundamental, uh, fellowship, though I think perhaps we maybe think of that word fellowship as a you know, just a pleasant company. Yeah, it's a bit religious, isn't it? I mean, I remember when I first became a Christian about 2,000 years ago, it feels now, um, you know, you had a meeting and then, uh, you know, they would say, uh, and at the end of the meeting, if you can stay behind for a bit of fellowship, which meant a cup of tea in a very ugly looking cup normally, uh, and a plain biscuit, and, and that was fellowship. Well, now fellowship is, is much more than that. As you said, it, it's about them 
sharing life together. Uh, young people have a phrase these days, doing life together. And that's what they did. Fascinating, in the New Testament, the word for fellowship, the Greek word, because the New Testament is written in Greek, is koinonia. And it originally meant a partnership, like in a business partnership, we're going into partnership together. And these early Christians went into partnership, not just with Jesus, um, but with one another. So this immediately underlines it's more than a meeting. It's more than turning up at 10 o'clock or 10.30 on a Sunday morning, whatever your holy time is. This is about doing life together. This is about being utterly committed to one another. You know, when I first became a Christian, my youth leaders used to have little sayings of things like, when the church meets, I meet. In other words, it wasn't an option for me to think, oh, shall I bother going to that meeting or not? No, this is my family. Why wouldn't I be there when my family meets together? So fellowship, not a cup of tea and a biscuit. This is doing life together, however that might find expression. And then breaking of bread was the third. Now, that might even follow on, perhaps, from uh, doing life together. Yeah. Um, breaking of bread was, of course, a very fundamental part of Jewish life. Every meal started with them breaking a piece of bread and giving thanks to God for the meal that they were uh, about to begin. But Luke uses that term uh, in particular for what Paul will call in his letters the Lord's Supper, variously called today, you know, communion, Eucharist, mass, whatever it might be. And eating bread, breaking bread together would have recalled for them that Last Supper the disciples had with Jesus. Uh, perhaps as well his feeding of the 4,000 and the 5,000. And we know from Acts 20 verse 7, for example, that breaking of bread became a regular feature of life in the early church. So in the early church, breaking of bread, communion, wasn't something they did just once a month, as many churches do today. Certainly wasn't once a year, as there would be even some of those churches today, it was a regular core part of their meeting together. And it wasn't having a wafer and a sip of wine or blackcurrant juice, depending what your church does. Uh, it seems to have been clearly a part of a meal. Clearly that's what Paul's got in mind in 1 Corinthians when he castigates the church there for the rich starting the Lord's Supper together and eating everything and by the time the poor slaves turn up at the end there's no food to be left and he says you know what you're eating is not the Lord's Supper it's not the Lord's table I don't know what it is but it ain't that because it was denying the very thing their togetherness their oneness so remember they met in homes as well as up there on that great temple courtyard and so as they met in homes it would have been natural to share a meal together at the end of the day when they met and it became a regular feature as they broke bread and said let's just stop let's remember Jesus broke bread he gave his life for us on the cross this cup let's remember how he shed his blood for us so yeah teaching fellowship breaking bread three key parts of life together and that sense of devotion also makes sense when the fourth one is prayer. You can't be not devoted to prayer. Yeah, we're going to see again and again in this series how prayer is, it's not something, it's, you know, 
When you get on an aeroplane, they always do the announcements from the beginning, don't they? And they say, your life raft is under your seat, you know. You're probably not going to need it, but it's there in case of emergency. And for some people, prayer's a bit like that, isn't it? It's tucked under your seat. It's there in case of emergency to be pulled out when things go wrong. But clearly in the early church, as we'll see throughout this journey, this adventure through Acts, they were devoted to prayer. It was, a, it was woven into the the very fabric of their life together. It seems like there never was a time when they weren't praying, whether that were worship or intercession or doing spiritual warfare to see Peter let free of prison, praying for one another's needs. Uh, many of the New Testament letters talk about them praying, supporting one another uh, in very practical ways. So prayer was a fundamental part. And what would that prayer have been? Well, worship to God, but also again, lifting their needs, their shared needs to one another before God. So what, private and public then? Yes, um, prayer needs to be both, just as those other things need to be both. So I'm sure they had their private devotions. Though even, I'm gonna say something a bit dangerous possibly at this point. You know, we so focus on private devotions in the West now, don't we tell people it's important to have their quiet time, to pray every day, to read their Bible every day. And I do believe that. But it's almost like we've raised that so high, we have lost something of the, but you know what? It's okay to pray together. If you were praying together with someone that day, that's okay. You don't have to go and have your personal time with Jesus as well. So corporate as well as, and we'll see examples of both in the book of Acts and in the letters, personal prayer and corporate prayer. There really is a need for both. And, and that certainly we'll see is a fundamental reason why the church became unstoppable church, as we've called our series, because they believed in prayer. Because what are we doing when we pray? You know, what we're doing when we pray fundamentally is saying, God, I, we can't do this. And even if I can, I don't want to do this because I mess things up. God. We need you. Now, we may need to step out and we may need to have to do stuff so we're not waiting for it to drop from heaven necessarily. But in praying, we are saying, God, this needs you at the center. We need you. Rather than, well, we have the technique here. It's 303.1 and we know this one works because we've used it many times, friends. Well, maybe 303.1 does work. But lace it with prayer individually corporately and that's certainly what the early church were devoted to. I can't help but notice that in the background is the Muslim call to prayer, a sign of devotion of course. So I mean what can we learn about being devoted to prayer? Yes and if you live not just here in Jerusalem but in many places around the Middle East you'll hear that call to prayer go out five times a day from the crack of dawn until uh, sunset. In fact it was what woke you up this morning you told me wasn't it? And it's a reminder as they're right now reciting scriptures from the Quran about the greatness of Allah as they understand it. Yeah, I find that quite provoking. I mean, I wonder how many of us as Christians stop five times a day to give a few minutes to praying in our day. Do you know, many years ago, I, I used to uh, do radio programs for BBC Oxford. And I remember faith programs. Now, I remember interviewing a... Muslim doctor and I said to him at one point look as a busy doctor you're a registrar how on earth 
can you afford time to stop and pray five times a day in your busy day? And he looked at me and said, how can I not afford to stop five times a day? And I felt quite humbled by that response. So I don't think as Christians we have to get into a routine of thinking we must pray at set times of day. Though, of course, that's how Jews did. There were set times of prayer. And in Acts 3, we will find Peter and John going to the temple at the time of prayer, it will say. So they did, as Jewish Christians, keep to some of those set times of prayer. But we don't have to do set times of prayer. But what I find it provoking is how much is prayer interwoven into your daily life? How many times do I stop and pray? When I'm at work, not just in religious contexts, when something drops on my desk, what do I do with it? And my own practice is, you know, when I'm at home at my desk and maybe an email comes and I'll often say, okay, how are we going to answer this, Lord? Or I'm preparing something. I'll say, okay, what are we going to say here, Lord? And so I make it conversational and prayer can be at its simplest conversation with my father. So it doesn't have to be at set times, though if set times help you, God bless you, do that. But we can also do it anytime. And I think the New Testament letters are very clear that um, prayer just needs to be a way of life in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, Paul says in Philippians 4. So a life laced with praise, prayer, and request to God, not just individually, remember, but in the book of Acts, very much their devotion is expressed corporately. And you've explained that, you know, Luke chose his words very carefully, so he's used that word devoted for, for good reason. And that sense of devotion to each other, that, that spilled out into how they live together. I mean, but how committed were they to each other? Oh, I mean, incredibly committed um, to the extent of sharing their life together. I think it's important to note this is not communism, as some people have sometimes thought it in the past. Communism demands that we pool our resources. Interesting that uh, in the early days of Jewish settlements back here after 1947 in Israel, there was a lot of sort of communist type kibbutzes uh, appeared as people had to pool their resources together. Interesting they discovered that didn't work. Interesting communism as uh, discovered throughout the world, it doesn't work either and they quickly become capitalists, don't they? I'm not saying that's any better. But this is not communism because there was no compulsion. This is people whose hearts have so been touched that they're saying, my brothers and sisters are in need and, and I've got a field just outside Jerusalem that's been in the family for years and we've got, you know, we're doing nothing with it, we plan to do nothing with it. Let's sell it and let's give that money to the poor in the church. So it wasn't compulsorily. It came out of a heart that genuinely wanted to bless brothers and sisters. And, and this was something that they were really devoted to. You know, I, perhaps I should have said earlier, that word in, in Greek, devoted, is, is really a very strong word. It means to persist in adherence to, to stick at it. This is not something they tried and thought, yeah, okay, you know, tried a couple of weeks of that, well, give that a miss now. No, they stuck at this. They gave themselves to it. And it wasn't just praying. It was, David, you're in need. I've got excess at the moment. Let me share with you, brother, so that when you've got excess, maybe you'll share with me. Paul talks quite a bit about that in 2 Corinthians, by the way. So a tremendous amount of not just meeting itis, 
but living life together in such a way they were modeling and demonstrating what God's new community looked like, where there were none who were left in need. Not communism, but a joyous sharing of resources together. How much of a challenge is that for us today? Well, I don't know about you, but I find it an incredible challenge um, because there's still a streak in me likes my money. Now, do you know what? And I'm not saying this in any way boasting, but from day one of being a Christian, I was taught to tithe, to give a tenth of my income away. And my wife and I have always done that and it's never been an issue. Um, but even this week, we had uh, a speaker at a, from a visiting ministry at my own church back home. Um, and they were looking for supporters of it. And at the end, my wife turned to me and said, I think we should give monthly to that and everything in me thought mm, you know maybe we could give a one-off gift but you know giving monthly don't quite know and I've, I'm just being really honest that was my first response now as I reflected and prayed I thought you're absolutely right Liz we do need to give to it but the honest truth is there's still something in me that likes to keep my money not because I want to be stinking rich but because I know life can be tough at times but God wants us to be a people who are generous-hearted, generous-spirited. And I've discovered this, God is no man's debtor. And when we will give richly into God and his work and his people, God never leaves us short. This devotion led somewhere, led to things, no doubt. You know, what was the outcome of, of their devotion? Well, it's amazing because um, the outcome wasn't that just everybody felt good or everybody, you know, experienced life much better. Um, we discover that everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done. Wow, hang on. You know, this is not them praying, fasting for months, saying, Lord, we want to see more miracles and healings in our church. This is them just learning how to be generous spirited and live together. And God puts the cherry on the cake by blessing them with these mir miracles that are happening where not in the church necessarily, but out there in the world. The chapter ends with the words, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this radically different sort of devoted lifestyle led to the church being yet again unstoppable, to God himself providing miracles and wonders and healings, to people seeing that and coming and joining the church. We want to see our church grow. Hey, how about starting to be more devoted in how we live towards one another and towards God? And who knows what God may start to do in his unstoppable church today as we do. Mike Beaumont and David Taverner, traveling from Jerusalem to Rome and beyond to track the amazing growth of the first century church and what that means for the unstoppable church of the 21st century. There are more Bible podcasts from Mike and David on the UCB Player app and major podcast platforms. Check out Jesus Then and Now or Bible Books in 30 Minutes.